0: This is the Lights On Show. My name is Jacob Morissette. I'm an honor student at Boise State University, and this is my podcast centered around turning the lights on. I go and talk to -to day-to-day professionals to learn how they've mastered their craft. We go in-depth on the inner workings of their perspective, their process, and their strategies, all in the hopes of inspiring others. Alright, so today I'm with uh, Mike Hagberg, who is my uncle. Um, we have different last names because I was married into this family, because uh, I have a split family, but that's okay. Um, and I'll just have Mike introduce himself now.
1: Yeah, I'm Mike Hagberg, and um, yeah, I've known Jake since, let's see, how old, were, how old were you, Jake, when we first met?
0: When Okay, so when my stepdad, when Nathan, married my mom, I think it was like five, or maybe I was just about to turn six, yeah, and I think I may right. have met you right after they got married, or maybe before? I
1: think... We probably met at the temple, I'm guessing, right? You Were you there?
0: I was there. Yeah, I, I was I'm very sure. unhappy. I'm, I'm sure we met. <laughs> yes. Um. So definitely has been kind of like family ever since. I mean, obviously I was super young, so it's not like I was 18. Like, oh, you're my uncle now? Oh, cool. Yeah. Uh, so I've known him for a long time. Uh, how about you tell us what you do and kind of explain uh, your job process and you know, what you do every day? Cool.
1: So I am a... Director of software engineering for Inside Sales. Um, so, as a director of software engineering, I am responsible for teams building uh, software. And my everyday, my day uh, in the life of my job is pretty much get to work. Um, and we always have a stand up first thing in the morning. So, a stand up meeting is ideally uh, designed so that everybody is standing up to keep the meeting short. and it's just about what you did yesterday, what you're going to do today, and if there's any
0: blockers. So um, blockers, and then like problems that will stop you from doing what you got to do.
1: Yep. Are you gonna? Are you, is there anything that's going to keep you from getting what you want to get done today done? Mm-hmm. So uh, we go through the stand up process. There's usually some communication that I'll give back to the team regarding, uh, you know, customer feedback or company feedback or. Um, we have a professional services team we work with closely and they have often have feedback for us as well. So it, my job is to make sure that all, everybody stays in the loop about what we need to get done and why we're, um, focused on, on getting this particular thing done. also helping, uh, to mitigate, um, any ch- type of interruptions to their workflow. So one of the things that's really difficult for engineering, uh, engineers is if they, are working on something and then they get interrupted. Um,
0: the flow can be broken.
1: Yeah, so it you know engineering is one of these processes where it takes a lot of deep thought. You have to it takes a while to get into what you're doing, and so if you're constantly going back and forth between different tasks, that it takes you longer to complete a task. So um, interruptions can include bugs that come in. They could include um, you know the company having a meeting out of the blue or Uh, somebody putting in a special request hey, this has to be done right away Mm -hmm. so as a director of software Software engineering I work to stop all that stuff from getting to the engineers so Uh. I can take all the priorities and formulate them into what is our next priority for the next two weeks so I try to keep my engineers like free from any distractions and keep them focused on what they're working on for two weeks straight and then their goal is to finish everything they have on their plate in that two weeks Mm -hmm. so that they can start a new two weeks and then I can bring in all these things that are high priority or urgent issues. And there's always times when we have to bring an urgent issue in Uh or whatever, but that's the goal. But it's
0: usually only a nice two-week
1: cycle. We try to keep it on an even two-week cycle. So uh, that's how my day starts is is making sure everybody's pointed in the right direction. Um, And then from there, it's lots and lots of customer meetings, lots of product meetings. Uh, We have our, our standard agile process. So, in software engineering there's a waterfall process and there's an agile process waterfall means everything's very well defined banks um, government the uh, you know big consulting companies they'll yeah. use a waterfall process and an agile process is all about keeping things agile so you can quickly change and point different directions so in an agile process there's typically your stand up meetings you have a planning meeting you have a um, Retro meeting. A retro meeting is where you look back in the last two weeks and say, what did you do well? What do you want to change? Mm. Make plans. Um, and then you have um, a grooming meeting. So a grooming meeting is where you go through and, and take all the stories that are currently in your backlog and you estimate how long they're going to take to build and you get better requirements and you define them and you work with your QA engineers. To, Anyways. yeah. So all these meetings are... Part of my day depending on being what being a director yeah depending on what day it is and then uh coordinating with all the other engineers and uh, different organizations about hey what do we need to do to get uh the the work that we have in front of us done in the next two weeks all right so yeah kind of boring uh if you if you look at it as it's a, it's lot, just, of a orchestrations, lot of meetings and, yeah a lot of meetings and we're trying to get everybody on the same page and in the same direction and then i also have one-on-ones so every single one of my direct reports is uh, somebody I'm going to need to meet with and every week I'll meet with them and find out how they're doing. And so that, that's actually one of my favorite parts of being uh-huh. a director is actually helping people be better at their jobs, yeah. helping them grow their careers. And um, it's something I th- I feel like I do a really good job at. I do it differently than anybody else I know. Um, when I sit down and do a one-on-one, I'm very thorough and I give them you know, a really good
0: like uh, overview, kind of? Uh,
1: I, I really I really help them know that I, they can depend on me to deliver what they ask me for. And then I ask the same of them. And eventually what we find is as they, they get used to seeing me do whatever they've asked me to do over and over and over again, pretty soon they're like, wow, Mike's going to do whatever I ask him to do. Um, I really need to do what he's asking me to do. So it, anyways, but that's part of it. But the, the bigger part of it is, is just helping them be... Better yeah. individuals, better engineers. Um, you know, whatever they in their life. I talk about family stuff with them sometimes. You know, marriage uh, counseling. Whatever. <laughs> oh, there you go.
0: <laughs> so it's, it's all of it. It's a, it's a big, big job. Yep. Um, so obviously, uh, you remember the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, and I try not to like throw a whole bunch of secular. Is secular with with religion and non secular is non religious, or is it the other way around?
1: How that w- secular would be worldly.
0: Okay, so I, I try not to make it, like, 100% non-secular, but it just so happens to be that so many of my Latter-day Saint, you know, church member peers have such successful positions, and I'm able to actually talk with them. That just makes it really easy access uh, for me. But, anyway, so I do like to ask this question, though. Is um, Obviously, you've been on a mission. We've talked about this before, but um, how do you think that may have changed you from, like, a boy who's just going to high school to the man you are now who has a family, a job that has many, many, many titles um, and all those types of things. Like, How has that kind of transitioned you, prepared you, or just, in other words, yeah, got you through it? Uh, The biggest thing that
1: a mission did for me... A mission is, is a lot like a mini lifetime. So in two years you are going to experience things um, that that most people don't get to experience until they're either much older or maybe even never. But it's like a a lifetime compacted into two years. Mm -hmm. So you have failures. You have successes. You have heartbreak. You have super rejoiceful moments where you're just – you know, overwhelmed yeah, yeah. with happiness and, yeah. and joy. Um, you have friends that you make, you have people that you, you feel like you're, you brothers with, and then tell you they never want to see you again and <laughs> stop coming over. Um, so yeah, you, have, you see miracles happen. Uh, I saw a ton of miracles on my mission that were, were unbelievable. They're just true miracles. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like having that, that lifetime of experience compressed into two years helps you become a man because you already, like, you're, you're dealing it, yeah. with these things. So for me, one of the big things was learning how to deal with conflict, learning how to deal with people. Um, I remember there was one time where I was really unhappy with a way one of our one of the missionaries I was a leader over was behaving, but I never talked to that missionary about it yet i was constantly complaining to my my mission president about this missionary uh, to the point where eventually he said something to this missionary and at that moment i realized oh wait he's going to mention my name he's going to tell him that I, i'm not happy with the way he's doing things and yet i never gave him a chance to actually Make know change. that i was unhappy yeah. with him like I never gave him a chance to change. I never, I never told him about it. And it was one of those moments of like, wow, if I'm going to complain about somebody, I really should complain to them first before mm-hmm. anybody else. So that was one of those like leadership experiences where I was like, wow. Um,
0: and that's what you do every day, though. <laughs> that's
1: what I do every day, yeah. So I, I got really good at it uh, early on in life, and so that really helped. Um, but there's other experiences, too. I remember you know, we were teaching a family – and they uh, they were Catholic, and I had been taught growing up that whenever the Book of Mormon mentioned the Great and Abominable Church, that that meant the, <laughs> the Catholic Catholics. Church. And so we happened to be reading that we were reading the whole Book of Mormon with this family. They wanted yeah. to read it from start to finish, and and so we were in uh, what was, what is it? Uh, First Nephi chapter. 10 or, or 11 whenever it starts talking about the great and abominable church mm-hmm. and they said so which church is the great and abominable church <laughs> and you and, and i told them cat it was the catholic church which is completely wrong yeah. I, I learned later um because that's what i had been taught and just that devastation that they you know they never invited us back of course and we were super close to this family i don't know if they ever got baptized but um yeah, utter despair. It wasn't. I mean, the spirit wasn't there because it wasn't true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, so I since learned, um, I had a great religion class that taught what the Great Abominable Church really is. And it says in the scriptures, there's two churches that are there's a tr- they're both churches of the heart. One's the Church of God, and one's the Great Abominable Church. So either your heart loves God, or it loves Satan.
0: So it's not really a, it's not a, an actual religion. It's like a mindset kind it's of. Your a, yeah, it's yeah. your heart. Yeah, it's your heart. Yeah, And I <laughs> can go into depth about yeah, yeah.
1: that. But we'll we'll leave it that there.
0: That's uh, I really like that response. That's the first time I've ever heard someone like describe a mission as the entire life experience, in one, compact like chapter of your life, which is just two years. I really like that because I mean. Like we all have to live life, but if you already kind of experience a lot of life really, really fast when you're really, really young, naive, ignorant, whatever it may be, in only two years, like, poof, yeah, can I get a lot of uh, explosions in your brain? Absolutely. Um. So that's awesome. Uh, never heard that before. That's a new one. I'll have to. I'll, I'm, I'm definitely gonna check up on that. Like, I'll try. I'll try to think about this when I'm going on my mission. But like, he's definitely right about this. So we'll see. And we can always talk. Yeah, about that a lot of people act.
1: feel that way so you'll even hear people talk about when you get to your mission being born mm-hmm. so they'll talk about that being as your your birth and your trainer they'll often call your dad um, and then his trainer is your grandpa <laughs> uh, so and then when you have a, a, somebody that you train that's uh, your son and then your dad would be his grandfather. so I actually had a, a chance where I was I was reunited with my trainer later on in my mission. And I was training, and we were in a threesome. And the the my trainee's name was Elder Crasperson, and so we joked that it was the father, the son, and the Holy Crasper. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So really and then, like that. and
1: then you die when you go home. So when you you go home, they call it your death. Yeah. So it really is like a mini lifetime. So
0: that's actually really yeah, that's really awesome. Um, and then kind of finishing out this main intro, but um, how did you get into CS? and explain the different jobs you had, kind of briefly introducing yourself into this field. Because obviously you grew up on a fa- well, not obviously, but you grew up on a farm um, in Gridley, California, which I many of you guys probably don't know what we're talking about. I don't even know where it's at. You it's about one it?
1: hour north of Sacramento, in between Yuba City and Chico in the Sacramento Valley.
0: So there you go. So kind of out in the middle of nowhere. Still don't have any cell service whenever you go out there. And it's on a big farm. So what kind of made you shift from that, you know, your gridly farm boy style to a dude who rides his bike every single day, Salt Lake City, and does computer science? Like, kind of describe that.
1: So growing up, um, really respected my grandfather and my father. They taught me hard work. They taught me work ethic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I knew I didn't want to be on a roof when it was 120 degrees outside uh, working construction with my dad yes. just because – that that was not something I, I i thought of as a rewarding career for me. Yeah, I'm in the um, same boat right
0: now with fences. It's yeah. Not fun. <laughs> and
1: so my dad started us off young, like you know, five years old, even picking up nails at the job site. So he kind of burned me out a little bit, maybe a little early on the the work side. Yeah. But but it, I mean, I definitely learned hard work. So it was great. It was a great experience. Um, But uh, at an early age, we got a computer at our house. Uh, It was a Packard Bell uh, 286. So super old. Super old, yeah, piece of crap computer. Uh, But I loved to break that thing. Um, I I spent more time than anybody else in the house on that thing. I was always trying to figure out weird things I could do with it. I, I used to prank call people with the modem all the time. So the modem, back in the old days, you used to dial up yeah cell service so i used to actually dial into my my friend's houses and you could set it to auto repeat and you could <laughs> set it to like set durations of how long it would wait to dial anyway so i I had fun like prank calling people and uh doing all kinds of weird stuff with with the computer that um yeah it, it, so that really got me into it was hey I, I love this computer i love technology uh what what field or
0: what jobs are available in this field um computer science is full of it yeah um and then i think i remember asking you one time like how you learned it and just say you picked up a, a old like textbook and you just started reading the language so we'll
1: step, we'll step back one question for before that one so you said like how did i even get into it yeah, yeah so yeah. i obviously went to school i went to uh rick's college okay but I didn't have a plan. Like I went to, on my mission with no plan of like how I was going to college before, and I wasn't really too worried about it because my dad didn't finish college, mm-hmm. my mom never went to college, yeah. and so I I wasn't sure I'd ever even go to college. I wasn't sure what my
0: plans were. And you were the firstborn,
1: so I was the like firstborn, a... so yeah, I had to lead the way. Um, on my mission, my mission president gave me a scholarship um, to go to Rick's College. So it's usually somewhat difficult to get to Ricks College. Um, I got a 17 on my ACT score, which is pretty low for all those out there yes. that don't know that. It's pretty uh, low. Out of
0: like 36. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. So uh, 36 is perfect. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah so uh, <laughs> I don't know if you got 36, but <laughs> yeah, that's, that's that's pretty high. <laughs> yeah. So, um, but the 17 was was fairly low, and I never applied or anything to college. But because my mission president gave me this scholarship, that he was only give, allowed to give one out his whole mission. That um, automatically guaranteed me entry to Rick's College, mm-hmm. and it gave me a. It was a simple five hundred dollars scholarship. It wasn't a ton, but the biggest no, thing back was back then,
0: this, though five hundred dollars was pretty yeah. good. Now it's like forty grand just for tuition. <laughs> yeah,
1: <laughs> it, back then it was uh, twelve. Uh, no, so nine hundred bucks a semester. That
0: is it, cheap
1: for uh, for the twenty three credits. So um, I got into Rick's College without having even having to take the AC or the. I didn't even turn to my ACT score. I had to take it again. My first day of college, I had to go take the ACT, which I drove all night to get there in time to take it, which is a whole other story. But uh, I didn't sleep at all, but I got a 17 again. (laughs) So it was funny because like in our statistics class, our statistics teacher would always do all these correlations. And he said, you know, there's always some outliers, but this is the first time I've ever seen this in teaching statistics that someone has a 4.0 GPA and has a 17 on their ACT score. He said that's never happened in in my entire life of teaching. <laughs> like, I've never seen a score that low with a 4.0. So would you mind? Who is that? Would you mind raising your hand and tell us how that happened? <laughs> anyway, so that was me. Um, so that's funny. <laughs> uh, so, but it's just a lot of hard work, you know, a lot of effort and stuff like that. But so I got into once I got into college, I'm like, okay, I want to get into computers. I'm going to take computer science. And, okay. And then it just rolled from there. And then your next question is: My first, I didn't learn it at college by picking up a textbook. My first job, uh, I'd never done Delphi before. Okay. And there was no online resources. So back you just had then. to like
0: re, like you just had to learn a different language.
1: Yeah, I learned a language um, called Delphi. Okay. And I, all I had for a reference was a textbook. There was a little bit of online help, but not very much. Yeah, so, I wouldn't think so. Yeah.
0: Um. All right. So now getting into the main question. So uh, obviously we know that you are a team leader um so describe and talk about the process uh you took in climbing the ladder uh, like the corporate ladder and the things you've experienced while doing that and things you learned that were helpful because obviously this is a ever-increasing corporate america world and computer science is exploding obviously salt lake valley is exploding computer science is all over the place um so kind of how can we or how can you know, myself, because I want to get in computer science, as of now, obviously, I think it's like 80% of, high, of college students change a major. Um, but nonetheless, how can students who are pursuing the same course you are, who have the same passions as you, get in and do well and climb the ladder?
1: So for me, I don't know if I'd recommend this. It was really hard. But while I was going to school, I got married and needed to support my family. So I was working full time and going to school full time, and I got a job as a software engineer um, at a small company where I was the only engineer, and that's why there was like no one to teach me how to mm-hmm. to do it. I just had the book, uh, the Delphi book that I had, um, but that's how I put myself through school. I was making thirty grand a year as a software engineer, um, and yeah, so. That's how I started. Uh, I started as the vice president of technology because I was the only <laughs> one there. Um, I, I actually had that on my resume for a while, but I
0: took that off realizing that was kind of dumb. Because, yeah, and plus yeah. now you have much better things. But what I'm kind of getting at that yeah. is like – How did I grow that? Well, but like, it, like 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 the very first step is just taking a job, like getting that experience. Because like you said, you didn't learn that soft. You didn't learn that language in college. Like It's like you learned how to learn languages in college. And then, so, right. like, you just got to go take a job. Yeah, and I, I
1: was still in college. Yeah, and you so, were still in. So, yeah, I began. I became a software engineer, which actually made some of my classes really easy because I, I was doing way, way more advanced programming than any of my classes taught because I was doing it every day for a living. Mm-hmm. Um, so some of my classes were super easy, and I could breeze right through them. All my, all my programming classes were super easy because I did it for a living full time. Yeah. So, um that, that helped me get through school quickly. Once I finished school, I took a different job um, up in Kaysville at a company called Mountain View Software. Uh, my main interest in doing that was is they were doing a more modern language. Delphi was a dying language.
0: Sounds like, because I've never even heard of it. Yeah, <laughs>
1: yeah, nobody's heard of it. Uh, it. It was all built for running on PCs way back in the day. So uh, the modern language was Java. So it was brand new um, back then. We were on Java. Uh, 1.2, uh, we're now on Java 9, or no, Java 11 just came out. Yeah, it's
0: uh pretty so, far.
1: Yeah, so that was obviously 20 years ago, almost 20 years ago. Oh, boy. Um. So at that time, Java was still relatively new, and I had an opportunity to learn Java at this other company. They were transitioning from a Delphi shop to a Java shop. And so I, I was just an engineer there and um, did that for quite a while. I just was a regular old software engineer, just getting my – my tasks done and and, uh, hammering through some code. Um, I did that uh, for seven years at um, Mountain View Software, and then I went to Experticity, where I was a software engineer there for another uh, three years, and then I transferred from, at that point, to being
0: a a manager for the first time. All right, so you talk about that you... uh, where it's kind of like that basic mobile worker, just basic software engineer for seven years. So, what are some things that you were able to use um, to your advantage, like time management, or how you were able to work with your peers, like struggles you've had, things you've learned? Because you talk about you learned on your mission valuable lessons. So, how? What are the valuable lessons you learned as your software engineer that helped you to then take on a, a management position that you did a little bit later on? Yeah.
1: So, commu- communications key no matter what position you hold in any company. okay. So making sure that you understand what you're supposed to be working on, um, what the expectations are, and making sure that you... Learning for myself, one of the biggest mistakes I made was not being vocal enough. Like, I felt all this pressure all the time to get work done. And so I would allow myself to get to a state where I'd have... I would think, oh... I should ask somebody how to do this because I don't know. And then I think, oh, let me try it on my own. Mm-hmm. And I would try and try and try. And the next thing I know it'd been like a day or two days. And in my mind, I thought, man, this should have only taken me a couple of hours. And here I am on day number two and I'm still working on the same thing. And so instead of thinking, well, I really should go ask for help now, almost the opposite thing happened where I think, well, now I, I can't ask for help. I'm, I'm two days in and I should be getting this work yeah. done. And so I would start to th- get more and more pressure. And I'd call my wife and be like, hey, I'm not coming home tonight. I have to stay until I get this figured out. And that happened multiple times to me where I would be like, I just have to figure this out on my own. I'm not going to ask anybody. And so I would beat my head against the wall forever until the point where I actually figured it out. And in hindsight, and I tell all my engineers this, as I, I mentor them, I say, if you're stuck, ask for help. Like do it. It's yeah. better for everything. It's better for everybody. We want you to get through this project sooner. We want you to move on to your next thing. Nobody's going to think you're stupid. We want you to understand that we all go through that mm-hmm. and let us help you. The biggest thing is, is you need to still be able to learn on your own. So I don't want you coming to me the second you run into a barrier and say, Hey, I can't do this. I want you to try it for an hour. Go beat your head against the wall for an hour, but yeah. don't do it for. A day or two, two days, days and then, or a week know. sometimes like i did and i'd be like you know just yeah. coming to my next stand-up going i'm still working on this thing but i'm almost there and i, I do this all the time i'd be like i'm almost done in reality i wasn't even close to done but in my mind i'm like i'm gonna be almost done i'm gonna stay all night tonight yeah. until i figure it out and i'll be almost done tomorrow because I'll, i'm gonna work on it non-stop so that was a huge mistake and Cost me tons of personal time and and everything else too, because yeah, like, I was just working like crazy to try to figure this thing out when in reality, I should just ask for help.
0: Mhm, I really like that because especially in a like a field like that where I feel like a lot of people may allow pride and like they're smarts like, oh, I know how to do this, I know how to do this like I feel like that might kind of get into that type of workflow. And I was it, just
1: always afraid of what other people would think of me. I thought they yeah. would, they would think I was stupid if I asked for help, mm-hmm.
0: Like you don't want to like. You don't want to like, dang it! Like Mike's an idiot. Like you kind of have like a not like pride, but you don't want to like humiliate yourself. Right. So
1: yeah, so that was a big mistake, and I took me a long time to learn that. Um, Other key things though that I did learn that were I did well was you know again hard work, being able to push through things, um, being able to uh, use the resources that were available to me. So as Online resources became more readily available. Learning how to to search and find things quickly online to help me solve a problem. Um, Going to other coworkers quickly and finding solutions to problems really helped me to uh, have more breath. And I found out as I worked with these other engineers, I saw them do things that were really beneficial. For example, keystrokes. Learning how all the keystrokes on my IDE, which is your... um, uh, integrated development oh. environment. So your IDE has lots of shortcuts that you can use in, in, your, in your keystrokes. And every time you can do a keystroke rather than move your mouse, you're faster.
0: Oh, I remember you talking to me about that, like, don't use your mouse. Like, yeah. just use all the shortcuts you have on your keyboard.
1: So just learning all different types of shortcuts uh, was super helpful. Learning to see how other people approach problems is like, oh, wow, that's that's a really good approach. I never thought about doing that way. Um, is super helpful as well. So the more you can spend time with other engineers and watch them code, especially people that have done it before, mm-hmm. can be super helpful.
0: Yep. Um, I think it's really cool though because that's kind of what this whole podcast is about. It's like trying to get in into the head of someone else and figuring out how they would solve a problem or how they experience the things that they experience and how you can cope with that. Um, so that's pretty cool to hear about that. Um, and then now on to um, when you first started getting your leadership roles because um, we kind of backtracked and just talked about just the day in life and kind of uh, working around with the basic just software engineer. So how about when like, talk about your first like management job, like and how how did that work out for you? And like, what were your responsibilities compared to like now?
1: Yeah. So let me take one step back before that and tell you how I, right. I made the jump. Okay. From, yeah. Oh yeah. 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 From uh, being a team lead and a senior software engineer to a manager. So, it actually has a really interesting story. Um, I started off feeling kind of like the like a victim. I felt like I was being overlooked uh by some of my my peers because of and my leaders because of uh the work I was doing. I just didn't feel like I was getting credit for my ability to be a leader. Mm-hmm. And so I kinda went into this victim mode for a little bit, um, where I felt upset that I, I wasn't being picked. Yeah um and i i was doing a lot of introspection at the time and i had a friend that he and i were both like bouncing ideas off each other and really trying to help each other improve and one day i was telling him about a great deal i found on uh ksl which is a local uh like craigslist okay. place yeah. and so i found this great deal and i i got the deal and uh, i was telling him how much money i saved and he said let me ask you a question. How much time did it take you to get that deal? And I said, "Ah, I don't know, maybe 10 hours. (laughs) And he's like, that's crazy. How much time did you spend at work to get that deal? And I was like, Hmm, like nine hours. (laughs) (laughs) And he said to me, what would happen if instead of wasting nine hours of work, you were to actually, do work. Like what if you went to work and you never wasted any time and all you did was work, how much more, how much more money would you uh, be paid right now? And I said, nothing. Like there's no way anybody's going to pay me any more money. Like, Cause then it just is like a salary job. Yeah, yeah. It's salary. But in my opinion, I just didn't feel like anybody would notice. I felt like no matter how hard I worked, I wasn't going to be appreciated. So yeah. it's vict- victim mentality, which yeah. victim mentality is horrible. It's terrible. So, I said, I don't think I'd I'd get paid at all. I said, I'll make you a bet. He said, try it for six months and let's see what happens. Mm -hmm. And I said, okay, all right, let's do it. I'll I'll try it. Uh, I I bet you that nothing happens. I'll, I'll bust my butt for six months. I won't check my phone. I won't check messages. I won't check personal email. I won't look at websites. I won't check ESPN. I won't do anything for six months. All I'll do is bust my butt and work from the second I get to work to the second I leave and Let's see if anything happens. Mm -hmm. So at the time, I was a senior software engineer. Um, Two months later, they made me a lead Mm -hmm. um, after doing this for just two months. Just two months. All right. With (laughs) with a raise, um, I made an additional $20,000 with that first raise. Which is good. Yeah. That's really good. Um, And then uh, four months later, before the end of the six months, I got a promotion to be a manager, and they bumped my salary up another twenty four thousand dollars, which is also good. <laughs> uh huh. Within six months, within the whole six so months, <laughs> I, yeah. So forty five thousand bucks, roughly, mm-hmm. uh, within six months of doing what my friend suggested I do of, yeah. of just putting my my nose to the grindstone and and working the whole time I was at work, uh, which you know it's okay to take a break. Like, and I would, I would take like 10 minute breaks and yeah, like, I would call my wife like, or check like, my like messages. Normal, like normal stuff, but not right. like,
0: not where it's like we you were talking about, like barriers. Like it's not becoming a barrier, distracting you or like taking you out of a place of like deep mental, like zonage.
1: Right. And the biggest thing was too, uh, I, during that time I wasn't focused on like getting a promotion. I wasn't trying to climb the ladder. I was just trying to work. I was trying yeah. to work hard,
0: and because and you had the bet, so you're like, oh, I'm gonna go try to prove my buddy wrong, right? So you're I just, wasn't
1: trying to, I wasn't, I wasn't going out there and be like, look how hard I'm working, um, but it just happened because I was working so hard, uh, I was getting so much done and making such an impact at the company that I was being recognized, and my peers were recognizing me, and all of a sudden, I had some peers at the time I didn't know it, but I had some peers that were like, eh, Mike's an okay developer, you know, but. It's not great, mm. and I had some of these peers going, coming to me, going, "Man, you're killing it! You're you're doing awesome! Like this is this is great to see all this great work you're doing." I'd be like, "Really? Like, it doesn't feel that different. It, yeah. it just feels like just, I'm just yeah. doing my job." So, um, that was a, a really an aha moment for me, and so then that that got me to the point where I, I'm now a manager, but I still had some some weaknesses in, in that jump to a manager. I hadn't really I've never been a manager before. And uh I read a book called Crucial Conversations. And in that book, it really helps you understand the science of a conversation. It helps you understand like one when people come to you and ask you a question, no matter if they're yelling at you or if they're super stressed or if they're anxious or if they're nervous, whatever, however they come to you, if they're talking to you, they have a purpose and they want something out of that. And as I would as I learned about this process, I learned how to, when one of my weaknesses was whenever someone would come to me and say, Hey Mike, this is broken in the code. What, what happened? Yeah. My first reaction was always defense. Like put up a wall. It was well, not my fault. I, it was working yesterday here. Check out my code. It looks good. I have all these use, these test cases that they're all, they're all working. Um, defense, defense, defense. Like I, I didn't do anything wrong. Yeah. Um, the book helped me realize that was a really bad approach. Don't, Which, yes. don't, don't put up these walls. And rather than that, help. you need to look at other people and realize, what do they want? What are they asking me? They're asking me for help. How can I help them? And so I remember clearly, right after I read that chapter, someone came to me and they're like, hey, Mike, this is broken. And I thought to myself, okay. Crucial Conversation says step out of the conversation. Don't feel emotional. Think about what they're really asking. Like evaluate. Evaluate it and then answer their question. Like step back in the conversation when you know, know what you want to say Mm -hmm. and then answer the question. And I realized, okay, he's not attacking me. He needs my help. And I said, oh, have you checked this and this and this? Because sometimes those things fail. And he said, oh, perfect. That was awesome. Thank you. And off he went. And I was like. And it went great. that, That was so much better than my normal approach of, build a big raw, and so and then there was other things too like i had an engineer who i was working with his name was ben and everybody's always come to me like ben sucks we hate ben and i the book always talks about understand what you really want like what's your purpose and i really like ben ben did a great job for me he just happened to be a really bad tester and he didn't comment code uh and he was a little rough around the purpose Didn't have great people skills.
0: Yeah, his social development was kind of rough. Yeah. yeah.
1: But he did a great job. Like, Mm -hmm. I really needed him on my team. So, when people come to me, like, Ben sucks. And I would say, Yeah, I'd I'd nod my head or say, Yeah. And I realized I didn't want to send that message to people. I didn't want people to think that he wasn't a good employee. And so, next time someone came to me and was like, Hey, Ben isn't testing his code and he doesn't comment. I said, Yeah, but this is what Ben does great. Have you noticed that? And they'd say, "Yeah, I've seen that." I said, "Well, you should tell him." And so pretty soon, people were—they'd go tell Ben, "Hey, thanks for, you know, writing this white paper, or thanks for uh, doing this architecture. It's working really well." And it started getting back to him that, you know, all this positive feedback, and it eventually got back to him that, "Hey, Mike is sticking up for you. He's telling people that mm-hmm. he thinks you're a really good employee. He's glad you're on his team." So in one of my one-on-ones. And I had several before that where I'm like, Ben, how do we get you to start testing your code? How do we get you to start commenting your code? Mm-hmm. And he'd be like, screw you. I'm not doing that. You know, yeah, and, yeah. and so we sit down for our one-on-one, and he looks at me before we even start, and he says, okay, how do, I, how do I become a better tester? Tell me what I need to do. And I was like, really? You're, you're ready? <laughs> there you go. That's and, awesome. And so um, – that, that book totally changed my career and helped me really understand the art of a conversation, which is like the most important thing about being a manager of any person, whether it's, it's in yeah. tech or any other field.
0: And, and I think that's uh, – so we kind of jumped the gun a little bit because I uh, – oh, yeah. So I don't know why I didn't put on this one, but I usually will ask like, what their favorite book is. Uh, so obviously this is going to be one of the quick questions kind of there. That's the book. We obviously just heard a great testimony of what the book has to offer. Yeah. Um and we'll it, read Crucial Conversations. Yeah, and it kind of killed two birds with one stone because that is what you used um, for your manager development and kind of how you were able to change your perspective from the, the software developer to the software developer manager, um, which is awesome. Um, and then how would you continue climbing from just a manager to now you're like a director? Mm-hmm. So uh, I was at
1: Experticity, and I had the very best team in the entire company. We were the only team hitting all of our benchmarks. We were performing better than any other team, um, and I had all the best engineers. Um, I was on top of the game, uh, but I also... Knew that I needed to stretch myself. I couldn't just become complacent.
0: Yeah, because like you can't be the smartest person in the room, or at least well, you, you shouldn't be.
1: And I and I never feel like I never try to feel like I'm the smartest person. Well, in the room. Well, I'm not, not trying to say
0: it, like yeah. literally smart, but like if yeah. you're if you're the best in the company, it's kind of like where do I go now?
1: And and I always attributed all my set, success to the great people around me. Yeah, yeah, yeah of course. So th- they made it so that I was able to be successful, but. Mm-hmm. Um, I really wasn't a great spot. Like there were, most people would like die to have that great of a team and everything else. So when I decided to leave to go to inside sales, I just happened to get an email. Um, I don't know why, but I, I was like, yeah, oh, sure. I'll look at this email. Oh, they, they want me to come interview. It's literally like around the block from where I currently work, half a block away. I could go there at lunch and just like do a quick interview. I'll, I'll go talk to them and see what they have to offer. Yeah. Um, And it was just for another management position. Uh, So I went and talked to this company. It was Inside Sales, where I'm at now. Mm -hmm. And I interviewed with uh, the CTO of the company. And his name was Steve Brain. And Steve said to me, actually, he was VP at the time. He wasn't the CTO. Uh, But he said to me, I want you to come run the very worst team in the company. And I looked at him, and I was like, okay, And I was thinking to myself, that doesn't sound like a very good thing to do. Is yeah, just kind of throw it leave, right out of you. <laughs> to leave where I'm at now to go to the very worst team in the company. And I thought about it. And I was like, you know what? I c- can't get any worse. Like This is the perfect opportunity to to go to a new company where no one knows me. that I haven't proven myself. I can step in as a manager. It's the worst team in the company. And I can affect change and help them be better almost immediately. Yeah, And so that's what I did. I went there and The the team was actually a really smart group of guys. They were doing great things. They had a bad rep, and they were trying to dig themselves out of a bad reputation. And that actually made things worse because instead of working on the things the company wanted them to work on, they were working on the things that they thought would help show off how great they were as engineers. Mm -hmm. So all I had to do was say, guys, stop working on whatever you want and just work on what the company needs you to work on and forget about anything else. And, and I'll make sure I shine a spotlight on you. We'll make sure that you're transparent about everything we're doing. We'll make sure that other people give you rec- recognition of all your yeah, the work that they're doing. And yeah, themselves. make sure that they can, they can be recognized for their great work. And I did that. And they started seeing, oh, Mike's not just here to aggrandize himself and make himself look good. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Every time he opens his mouth, he's telling everybody how great we are. Um, and so the team quickly went from the worst team in the company to one of the best teams in the company. And we had some initiatives that we rolled out that other teams weren't doing that they started following suit and doing the things that we were doing, especially with uh, CICD, which is Continuous Integration, Continuous Deployment, um, which is a really popular thing now. And at the time, it was somewhat new. Mm. Um, anyways... That was a, one of our initiatives. We did some, some product projects that uh, really saved the company a lot of money and that people really loved that got a lot of attention as well. Um, so th- that combination of those two things in six months uh, shone the spotlight on the team, but also put me in a position where uh, when an opportunity came to be the director of software engineering over predictive pipeline, which is what I'm over now... Uh, they chose me to, to take and run that team. They said, great job. You fixed the worst team in the company. Now we have a new worst team in the company for you. We want you to go and, and fix this product. Yeah. And so they asked me to, to first be the manager of that team. And shortly after, I was the manager for about three months. They asked me to take over and, and be the director of the entire product uh, for um, Predictive Pipeline, which is a, a product that Inside Sales yeah. sells. And then
0: now that's where you're at right now. Yep. So that was, a, that was a very, I mean, I guess you are kind of old now. Like you just turned 43. So <laughs> I guess we have to put that in retrospect that you have been doing this for a long time, that you've had a lot of, uh, of uh, yeah, I've had a very lengthy story. But I think it's all such good information to, because that's realistically, I mean, what? We're all going to be 40. Well, most of us are going to be 43 at some point. Like, we're all going to be given opportunities to, you know, have the worst team, to grow ourselves, to grow our teammates, to try to continue to climb and climb and climb. And so that was really awesome to hear that. I do appreciate the, um, not only the depth, but the, um, the content. It was good. Um, so then, as, you know, obviously you've been such a lengthy team leader, what are some things specifically that you found in leading the team that, I mean, I mean you talked about, um, one on ones, one on ones, giving them the spotlight, um, and kind of how that changes their attitude, but maybe go more in depth on things um, that you've done that really do, because you kind of like gave it an overview, but talk about like how and why maybe you do the things you do to build up and to develop your team.
1: So looking for a win-win situation is always critical as well.
0: Unless you're Michael Scott then you have a win-win-win. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, in
1: fact, I had a, an intern – that was part of this worst team in the company that I took over when I first joined the company. And I told the told them my philosophies and I said, Hey, I really believe in win win situations. After the meeting, he says, he, said he was a Czechoslovakian and he said, I don't think there's any such thing as win win situation. <laughs> and I said, Okay, that's fine. Um, but, you know, I, I do. And, anyways, he was constantly challenging me. And one day I got a phone call from, uh, of the other teams and they were asking me to do something and he could overhear the phone call and so he said hey because i said i'm going to go to the conference room so i can talk to you and he's like hey can i join this conversation and i'm like sure yeah you can come join and so he just sat there and he listened and the, the the other team wanted us to implement a new endpoint in our software i said hey there's no reason for a new endpoint we already have an endpoint um, it does all the things you need me to do. Let me walk you through and train you on how this endpoint can really help you accomplish what you're already asking for. Yeah. And I said you're gonna have to sacrifice one of your one of your requests, but you get a whole bunch right away, and you don't have to wait for it. So there's a perfect example of a win-win situation. Mm. I I gave a, a little, he gave a little, and you're able we, to make a we nice. Both got something we wanted, mm-hmm. and so I hang up. And uh, his name, this guy's name was Michael. He says. Boom! there you go no such thing as a win-win situation he's the loser you're the winner <laughs> you're going to go home and tell your wife about you, how you made him cry like a little baby and he's going <laughs> on and he's like he's like i'm like what were we in the same conversation and he's like he asked you for something <laughs> and you showed him you were the man and he said he wanted it and you told him no i'm like I don't I don't, I don't, think, think, that I don't think you were in the same conversation we were in anyway Anyway. so it, it was funny <laughs>
0: that's awesome yeah
1: so your question was though, uh how do what other things do I do as a team leader or like maybe go people? like
0: in depth too? like you talked about uh giving them the spotlight so like you just talked about the fact that you did it but like why and like what are things maybe you've learned about giving them the spotlight that like actually works and, like, kind of, like, I don't know, like, kind of in-depth on that. It, it's
1: really about building relationships. So – what you
0: have talked about, like, yeah, you so making sure that they know that you're – obviously, you're their boss, but you are a mentor. You're a helper. You're not just someone who dictates them and tells them what to do all the time. Right. And you're rude. It's
1: servant leadership. So servant leadership yeah. means you're really doing everything you can to help someone else succeed. Um, yeah. And so – when I am trying to build this relationship with other people, um, you know, when I'm giving someone the spotlight or giving them credit, it, it's what's due. I mean, if they're doing all the hard work on it, and I go up in front of them and say, "My team just implemented this brand new service, and look how great it is, and look how great I am," well, that's kind of BS. I mean, yeah, it's, what, it's just bull crap. <laughs> yeah, why, why, why should I get credit for all their work? I mean. Sure, I orchestrated some things, but they did all the work. So yeah. it's just about g- giving them credit. But then behind the scenes, it's it's about having those conversations of the one on ones And the
0: one on ones and the, the stand up meetings and stuff.
1: Yeah, it's all along the way of helping them understand why it's important, what we're trying to what what we're trying to accomplish as far as business needs, um, you know what what the company expects and what. Uh, With that expectation, what they can expect in return, you know, as a result. So, you know, it's not always about money uh, and promotions, but it can be a a simple expectation like, hey, if if we get this done, um, the company's going to be really grateful. But not only that, but we can also move on to these other projects. And I know you really wanted to do X, Y, Z. This could be really fun for us. Um, This product's kind of a bore, you know, not not very exciting. But if we get this done, we can move on to these things. And just helping set that clear path and expectation of uh, what's expected, what can be delivered, um, giving them a clear roadmap, having well-defined. So one thing that really helps as a a manager and a director is having a clearly defined path of work. We call it a roadmap Mm -hmm. um, that's well-defined, well in advance. So making sure you're doing your grooming meetings, making sure all your work's planned out so that people know what to expect. Okay, this week I'm going to be working on this. But I can see we already have planned out, you know, six weeks in advance. We're going to do these things as well. And, you know, people can start giving me feedback with that as well. Like, oh, man, this work is horrible. I I can't imagine doing another six weeks of this work. Do we really have to do this? And I can look at it and go, wait a second. Why does everybody hate this work? What's wrong with it? You know, and I can ask some of these probing questions. And I got great response from people when I'd say, help me understand. Like, you're concerned about this. Tell me what you're concerned about. Help me understand why you don't want to do these things. And and they would say things like, oh, well, you know, I, I just think the company would be so much better off if we did X, Y, Z. And I could take that information and then digest it and other information from the teams. And then I could take it back to my leaders and say, guys, have we thought about doing this? Yeah. And a lot of times people would be like, no, that is a great idea. And I'm I'd like, oh, that's Ridget's idea or Ridget was one of my employees or or that's Uh, chris parkin's idea or that's uh doug ireland's idea and Mm. and let them know like i didn't i didn't come up with these things but these guys came up with it but that honestly nobody cares i mean they love that it's doug doug's idea but they really love that it's i'm being willing to push back on the company i'm willing to bring that information to light so that People can then affect change. They they like that communication forward. They don't care who, if it's me or someone else that came up with the idea. They just want to know, oh, someone's going to help us make the company better.
0: Great, let's yeah, let's, let's make just, it better. Let's just, let's just do it. Yeah. Um, and I want to kind of retouch on like the grooming stuff. So I, I when I went to go get my credit card for the, my first credit card because just obviously just turned eighteen, um, I talked to my like lady, and she happened to be the manager there, and um, they talked about. What well, she talked about during their, I don't even know how this conversation even started, but she talked about when she was leading her meetings and that kind of, kind of getting out all the, the blockers, that they would do their meetings and they would like sit down, like have like whiteboard and they'd write out the list of distractions, the list of things they have to do. Um, and it kind of like helped put everything pen and paper and like they got all their peers exposed to everyone's things they have to do so when you're talking about like those grooming meetings or like those those stand-up meetings are those the type of things that you guys are discussing as you're discussing um individual plans like you're kind of putting everything out on the table for everyone to hear and for everyone to understand and -hmm. that way you can kind of cut out all the crap because let's say someone does have on their priority list for the day text my friend everyone's gonna be able to hear that and be like "Uh, maybe you shouldn't do that and obviously that's a really stupid example but kind of like that so is that kind of what you're talking about though in those meetings
1: yeah, so the grooming process is really about getting everybody on the same page and pushing people to make sure that they contribute and get their input into the process so that we are sure that when we estimate something, that it's accurate and that we can get it done in the time we, we think we can get yeah, it done. Yeah, and cutting out
0: all the crap. Yeah. Um, so now kind of to the end of the episode. Um, obviously, I asked these questions to everyone, so well, this will be all familiar. Uh, Who slash what inspires you the most and why? Well, the easy answer of course is Jesus Christ
1: yes <laughs> um, but he's he's a little hard to relate to <laughs> sometimes uh, yeah obviously he knows me a lot better than I know him yeah um, but he he definitely inspires me um, Joseph Smith yeah I love the way he dealt with persecution um, anytime I feel like I'm being persecuted or life is hard I like to think about how hard his life was. And the
0: crap he had to go through Yeah, and his just life. how
1: amazingly well he dealt with all that. Um, and then my grandpa Hagberg really inspires me. He was a super hard worker, loving, kind. He was super charitable. He was always going out of his way to help other people. You know, he, he had several people living on his property at times uh, that never paid him rent or, or doing anything. Yeah, just out of the always, goodness of his heart. Yeah, just always trying to help other people. Um, so he's somebody that I always wanted to be like, and and trying to help other people and, and serve and be kind like he was.
0: Okay. And um, what's one short th- what's one short term thing that you would suggest people to listen or do uh, slash listen to before they go to bed tonight, or just like a, kind of a one day kind of excursion thing? So I'd say
1: going back to crucial conversations, if you have something on your mind that is bothering you about a conversation or something you want to get done, I would ask yourself, what do I really, really want? So when you, for example, when I had to think about Ben and people telling me he was a horrible employee, yeah, what did I really want? I wanted Ben on my team. That's what I really wanted. Uh, but a, the easier thing to do is just to go along with yeah, everyone, I, else. everyone else. So, but there's lots of situations like that where you can put yourself in the situation of like, okay, I'm really mad at this person. And I want to talk to them. Well, what do you want out of that conversation? What do you, what's the end result you're looking for? If everything went perfectly, what would you want to have happen? When you start asking yourself that question, you start realizing, well, everything I'm thinking about talking to them about is just to prove that I was right and they were wrong, or it's just to make them feel bad. Um, and so if you can really get down to the point of what do I really want out of this conversation? You know, if it's someone you love, maybe you just want to let them know that that you you feel like you want to be valued or yeah. you want to be loved by them as much as you love them or, or whatever the case may be. And, and maybe the easiest thing sometimes to do is just drop the, the whole point because sometimes it's it's not worth it. But what do you really want out of a you conversation think about yeah. that short term?
0: Yeah. Uh, and then what about long term? So more of like a longer kind of maybe a mindset, maybe a change. Like for example, you did the six months of just grindstone. Yeah, um,
1: yeah. I mean that's a that's an easy one uh, that to talk about. Anyways, I mean if if, if people wanted to just quantify, like, hey, uh, am, am I being effective at work? Am I really giving it a my all? Um, and what would happen if I did? Would people? Would anybody notice? I think that's a that's a great goal for anybody. It really changed my career and, and it's my led life. you to
0: to the career you have now and yeah. the the attitudes you have now and just all the experience. So I would definitely say it's a good one to have as well.
1: Yeah. So so try that. See see what would happen if you just remove the distractions from your your nine nine hour workday. So you, you have a one hour lunch, you have your fifteen minute, ten minute breaks, whatever you want to take in the middle of the day. Use those 10, 10, 15 minute breaks wisely. They go by really fast. You'll mm-hmm. find out. Um, so you can still check your ESPN. You can still check your
0: messages. Yeah. But you just got 15 minutes to do it. Yep. You can I do mean, whatever yeah. you want. And everything else is just work. Yep. All right. Well, I really appreciate you being on the show and uh, give your goodbyes and then that will be it. All right. Thanks, Jake. Goodbye, yep. everybody. Yep. All right. Bye.